welcome to this week's Tez FE podcast. My name is Kate Parker and I'm joined by Julia Balgtai. Hello. Hello. And this week you've got just the two of us. We're going to be casting our eyes over the biggest stories in FE during March. Can't quite believe that we're at the end of March already. Um, but here we are. Feels like it should be November by now, the year that we've had. <laughs> well, I can't. I, it, it both feels like it can't possibly be March yet, and like March should have ended weeks ago. It's yes. a very weird time and space have stopped mattering. <laughs> it's very, very strange. And yet, lots and lots of things happened in FE yeah. in March. It's been it's been a busy month. It has, and it obviously all started off at the very beginning of the month um, with schools and colleges going back. Um, so we had some interesting conversations, didn't we, with different principals at the you know around the eighth. Um, about how the return was going and I don't know about you everyone that I spoke to was very positive about it and was just genuinely pleased to see their students back and staff to see each other again. I mean it had been such a long build-up and and also obviously there had always been some groups of learners in and some staff had been in all the way through and so you know it wasn't from zero to everything Um, and most colleges certainly that I was speaking to were saying they were having a, a phased return you know, by kind of priority group, uh, seeing some learners much more often than than others and blended learning was continuing basically everywhere. But, you know, it was also the massive logistical challenge of getting organized for that day of reopening to more students. And uh, I think everyone was just quite pleased that it was finally here and, and they could get on with it. Yeah, and I think the biggest part in all of this is probably the testing rollout. Obviously, you know, we they, they were told way way back at the end of December that they were going to have to have testing for January. And then obviously, uh, this, you know, the, the lockdown came and that got prolonged. So it was kind of, you know, the start of the really big rollout of testing. Um, we know from <clears throat> different um, statistics that have now come out from the Department of Health and Social Care that even over the last week so if you start on the 11th of March and go to the 18th of March nearly 390,000 tests were taken across colleges in 16 to 19 schools in England which is just an insane amount isn't it yeah and you know we we were talking to principals who were saying they were doing literally thousands of tests a day and when you then see that total figure you know that makes that makes complete sense and it's a staggering number and it's actually really quite astonishing to see how few of them came back positive even if obviously you looked at those statistics in much more detail but you know even if actually there has been an increase in in the number of positive tests but the numbers are continue to be quite small yeah i mean so in the first so the way that the uh, department measured it measures it they don't do from monday to friday they do from wednesday to wednesday i think so in the first wednesday to wednesday 246 were positive and then the next week 285 so that is a 15 percent increase but if you still think 285 out of almost 330 you know thousand it's such a small percentage um it's it's yeah and i think obviously it is concerning that there is a 15 percent rise but colleges are clearly doing everything they can to keep their staff and students safe yeah and uh, you know the other way of looking at that is that that is you know just just under 300 people who were positive some of them might have been asymptomatic who were in college and would have been around college that now are not you know that was sort of found and, and can now isolate and make sure that they don't 
give it to other people around them in their sort of classroom bubble, other members of staff, whatever it might have been. So, you know, it, it obviously is a good thing that these people are being found and these cases are identified, but um, it's, uh, it's just a staggering logistical effort on the part of colleges. It really is. And I think that's it's really important to highlight when you see so much about secondary schools um, in the press and, you know, their logistical challenge. And it's worth remembering that actually in colleges they have, you know, maybe 10 times more the amount of students that are in a secondary school and also adult, adult students and just, you know, a huge, huge cohorts um, to get through. So I think, yeah, it's really it's been really brilliant to see how colleges have really stepped up to the challenge, I think. It's, and it's the, the different, we, t we say this all the time, but it's so easily forgotten that colleges actually really are quite different from schools. You know, I was speaking to someone this week who was saying essentially they had tens of thousands of tests dumped at one side. Um, you know, great to have them, but they have seven college sites. So you're then, you know, distributing across your entire state to make sure that students and staff everywhere have the tests available you know that in some cases these college campuses are really quite far apart and you know it just isn't like you know your your mainstream secondary school in in any way um, and then of course you know we also forget that independent learning providers and apprenticeship providers are still waiting for their testing rollout you know they they aren't even there yet so once again the kind of role of fe is very different to what we've seen in schools and one gets talked about an awful lot more than the other. Yeah. And I think leading on to that, you know, there was another story um, that came out of a federal report by East Coast College Principal Stuart on leadership stress. Obviously, this would have been an extremely stressful time for most college leaders. But, um, you know, the, the report is really, uh, it's just really harrowing to read, I think. So his research found that 45% of college leaders experience distress three to five times a week so that is and he said that distress was defined as a state of overload for example overextension at work thus negative stress so it's not you know feeling a bit overwhelmed or a little bit stressed here and there it's real distress and yeah 45 percent of college leaders are experiencing that three to five times a week it's just oh it's just harrowing i think yeah, it made for really stark reading that report. And, you know, there's no taking away from the fact that all staff in FE will be incredibly stressed. And if you did similar surveys at, uh, you know, another staff level, you would probably get reasonably similar results. But it is staggering to think that, you know, those people that run colleges are under this level of stress. And it's so rarely talked about. Um, it's very rarely talked about what principals are up against, what chief executives of colleges are up against at the moment. Um, and and yeah that report certainly highlighted what's happened there over the last year or two in terms of what COVID has, has added on top of what was already quite a stressful situation. Yeah and if you look at um, theory he kind of pulled together some common factors and the changing scope of FE was was up there managing conflicts be between various pressures, threat of sanction, um, things about crisis management, policy and regulation, college finances. You can really see how it's how it can just be such a tough job and I just want to read out one of the quotes which I think really uh, pulls it together. So one leader said 
I do my best to hide it. Realistically, I know on occasion it has made me a little sharp with colleagues and at home at times. I think it has worn down my patience and resilience. After 25 years in the sector, it also makes me consider what else I could do with my career. I hope I'm a good principal. I try to do my best by my staff and students, but the pace and workload is brutal. I can't place any more on my teams. We are juggling like crazy and I'm afraid we will drop something critical. And I mean, that's worst case scenario, you know, that you... What you really want in FE is a principal who is concerned and who wants to do a good job, right? That's everyone basically wants that leading any organization. Um, and so if you then have these people pushed to a point where they're considering leaving the sector, where they're considering what else they might do with their careers, I think that's a real worry. You can't have that sort of talent drain in a sector that really needs strong, competent leadership, you know, almost more than anything else, particularly you know, as finances get tougher, as there's ever more demanded from the sector, as the education secretary wants the FE sector to be this, you know, shining beacon of education. The last thing you you need is, is principals like that who really obviously care, considering their options. Yeah. And especially when like, you know, that person, 25 years in the sector, that's somebody who you really want to stay in. That's somebody who's got so much knowledge and expertise and the fact that they're considering leaving is just so sad, I think. Yeah. And they um, won't be the only ones. There, there will be many, many like them. And uh, let's hope they hang in there. Yeah. Um, and another, another big story um, is on the training providers and apprenticeship sector. So um, the Association of Education Learning Providers revealed um, they, they put forward an FOI and it came back to say that 86,300 apprenticeships were currently beyond their planned end dates, with 25,000 still on their apprenticeships six months after their planned finish date, um, which I think just, just really highlight the impact that COVID has had on apprenticeships and when you consider functional skills into that you can really see that it's just it's just crazy that 25,000 apprenticeships are six months you know and they should be finished in there and they're just waiting around it's just yeah I mean they're, they're waiting around they're they're stuck essentially they can't move on to whatever it is that they want to do next and you know god knows when they actually can because it's not like they are now all done they are still they are still waiting and an awful lot of that has to do with how little sort of consideration had been given to how we get apprenticeships to finish you know at a time where you can't just go in and assess their competency in lots of cases and where you know it took forever to get any clarity on what was going to happen with functional skills qualifications and you know assessments that were due to take place and then were they weren't they could they take place remotely could they get you know assessed grades uh, or could they not you know there was just so much confusion and it's basically led to tens of thousands of people many of them young people who are stuck essentially and who can't move on to the next step in their lives and you know i already mentioned learning providers are still waiting for test kits and everything is just sort of massively delayed and clarity takes a very long time uh, for the sector to to appear at all and it's um, it's a real concern you know if you're going to rebuild an economy having tens of thousands of well-trained people at the end of their apprenticeship not able to move on is, is just about the last thing you need. 
Mm. And Jane Hickey, the chief executive, she's called for um, uh, like a, a, a she calls it a new time bound second success payment to ensure targeted supporters for them because these learn these training providers are continuing to support these apprenticeships um, with no funding from the government, and I think it just you know reiterates that it's that situation we saw last year as well when training providers were just kind of left out in the cold and not really given the financial support that they needed despite the fact that they train you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of apprenticeships who like you said are going to go on to continue contribute towards the economy and actually be you know some of the drivers to get us out of this post-covid mess well yeah that's right and it's um you know again it just feels like they were a bit of an afterthought and people have sort of forgotten that they need the support and they need the help and if you know training providers are starting to struggle an awful lot of other parts of the economy are going to start to struggle and that's you know we can't really afford that at this point i don't think no um and then finally the last story we wanted to highlight was um one that we published yesterday on t levels and the gender imbalance so i spoke to uh, 26 of the t level providers um who were delivering this year and asked them if they could share with me the um the gender makeup basically on each of the courses and i don't think i was i was asking them thinking that the results would be anything other than what was returned i don't think it's surprising so um across all three of them they have massive gender imbalance so on construction and digital you're looking at 92 93 percent male um and in education and childcare, it's 95 percent female um like i said I, I don't think it's a surprise but i think it seems a bit bonkers to me that these are the first three le- three t levels that are put out there and actually two out of the three more more boys are benefiting from that you know golden experience that the dve talks about than than girls it also highlights that you know you're trying to attract people to what is this new gold standard of a qualification and actually what you're getting is a, a sort of well entrenched pattern that we've seen for every other qualification in that field for decades you know centuries in some cases and you know that shows how entrenched that is and how difficult it is to to see any kind of change on anything like that you know if you're going to try and attract more women into construction, you know, this first year intake of T-levels, all the great marketing campaigns have obviously not, not done that. And, it, you know, it's a long way to go if you, you're going to get to anything like, you know, you're probably not going to see 50-50, you know, in my lifetime, but you might get a few more women interested or a few more men interested in, in uh, education and childcare. Um, but certainly the first year of intake is not showing that at all no and i think all of all of the comments on it you know a lot of people are saying like said so bill watkin the um chief executive of the sixth form colleges association he says obviously this imbalance needs to be addressed but it's not something that colleges can do alone government employees in the wider education sector must work together and i think that's that's really what needs to happen isn't it you can it's not just up to one college it needs to be you know a whole societal push to really encourage like you said girls into construction girls into the digital and, and boys into education and childcare. and you just you wonder what it will take for for those for those figures to to you know readjust yeah. yeah and it, you know it i think it will take a long time it'll also be interesting to see what happens with you know the rollout of the next t-levels and whether we see similar patterns there um 
in the end, it all comes down again to careers advice and advice and information. And at what point do we talk to kids about what careers options are out there? And what do we tell them about what these options are? You know, if they then get to T-level age and it's already entrenched in their mind that construction is for boys and, you know, childcare is for girls, then very little will change. You know, very little will change in the economy, very little will change in the makeup of some of these industries, you know, it was maybe a couple of years ago, I did a feature on um, sort of trailblazers in very male dominated industries. And I remember speaking to plumbers, female plumbers who were saying, you know, it's a brilliant job and it's, uh, you know, a job I greatly enjoy and I have the independence I need. And, you know, I, every single one of them was the only female on their course. Um, and it looks like the T-level certainly isn't making great inroads and in changing that. No, no. Um, so yeah, so those those are the four um, stories that we really wanted to highlight for March. Who knows what April will bring for us? Um, <laughs> well, well, no, I'm, I'm, I don't want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> what might be around the corner? All right, who knows? But as always, you know, join us again in a couple of weeks. And thank you so much for listening. And we hope that you all have a lovely Easter break as well, whether you break up today or um, in a week's time. You know, really enjoy your holiday and get a good rest ahead of the summer term but don't forget to uh, occasionally check in on the Tez website we'll make yes, sure we've got some interesting content there for you all the way through the Easter break of course yeah of course well yeah thank you for listening as always and goodbye